0: My name is Brooke, and I am the. Ooh, cool. ooh. I am the Young Life College Director here at UW, Dub, um, and okay, I'll be honest. When it comes to Halloween, I'll just say it. It is not my favorite time. I'm not huge on Halloween. I think just because I don't like spooky things, I am easily frightened, and I am pretty gullible. So the two of those together, just. Don't make for a very great time. I feel like I'm constantly on edge. Um, but I live right now in an apartment complex and all of our doors kind of face into a courtyard. And every year, our apartment complex throws this Halloween party and they post their like, Facebook group about it and whatever, they invite all their friends. And this year, they did it two weeks early. So it was two weekends ago. I guess they just wanted to be like ahead of everybody else. And they decorated for it on a Tuesday which is also random, but I came home from the inn at like midnight and I'd parked my car and it's dark out and so I'm like hurry scurrying down the street and I get to my door and I'm like trying to unlock it because it's dark and it's late and I look over my shoulder and hanging from the balcony is like this skull with this like gray wig going down to the ground, and I like <laughs> my heart rate was racing, and I, I almost peed my pants standing there. Like, what is this holiday? What? Why do we do it? I just don't understand it. And you can call me naive or crazy. I know it can be goofy. I know it can be fun, but <laughs> if you're doing, if you're in haunted houses or scary movies or whatever, you can count me out. Anyone who wants to eat pumpkin things and have apple cider can come hang out with me on Halloween. (laughs) Just kidding. I'll be here. Come hang out with me here. Um, But a piece about that is that I have just never liked the dark. I've always been afraid of the dark. Ever since I was a little kid, I slept with a nightlight. And by kid, I mean up until I went to college, (laughs) I slept with a nightlight. And it was when I got to my freshman year and I got on the sleeping porch in the sorority and got into my top bunk and I was like, all right, this is the moment that I don't have a an nightlight anymore, cause I can't. <laughs> so <laughs> I've just always been afraid of the dark and I'm okay now. I can, I can be in the dark, but it, it just makes me more on edge. Am I like the only one? Like, <gasps> thank you. I'm not alone up here. The dark is the worst. Um, <laughs> but it just like makes me on edge. And it's crazy cause I can go to my apartment throughout the day and that school thing is still there it's still hanging, it's still Halloween, and if I'm there during the day, I'm like, I don't like that thing, but when I go home tonight, I'll be like afraid of it again, and it's, I know it's there, but it scares me, Um, and so there's this difference between darkness and light, like I can be in the same place, but if I'm there in the dark, for some reason, it's just freaking me out, and it's the feeling that it brings up, and so we're going to keep talking a little bit tonight about darkness and light, and Anjali, I mean, she talked about it too, talking about Diwali, of like this idea of darkness and light. It's not just in this room, it's a topic all throughout different cultures. Um, And so tonight, what we're going to be talking about um, is we're going to keep going through this series that we've been doing at the end, looking at the I am statements of Jesus. Um, We've been looking at the book of John to see who Jesus says he is and therefore who we can say that we are. And these statements are so important because they're the promises that Jesus makes to us. He wants to be real about who he says he is. And we here at the end want to be real about who Jesus says that he is. And my hope for each of us tonight is that we would get to know Jesus more. Um, And so tonight we're going to be processing the statement of I am enough. I am enough. And how we can relate to that sentence, that statement. And so the text that we're going to be looking at comes from John 8, and it reads as follows Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. The Pharisees, which were just some kind of uptight religious people, they replied, saying, you are making these claims about yourself. Your testimony is not valid. And Jesus told them, these claims are valid, even though I make them about myself. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you don't know this about me. You judge me by human standards, but I do not judge anyone. And if I did, my judgment would be correct in every respect because I am not alone. The Father who sent me is with me. Your own law says that if two people agree about something, their witness is accepted as fact. I am one witness, and my Father who sent me is the other. You guys, Jesus' claim here, his promise here to us, is I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. Those who follow me have that light, that leads to life. And he stands in front of a crowd saying, my testimony is true, because it's me and the Father. My testimony is true, I am the light of the world. Over the past few weeks, we've been talking about what full life in Jesus means. And we believe that full life is experienced through being known. And part of being truly known, if we're being honest, involves the good and the bad parts of us. Am I right? And as we dive into that receiving the truth that we are enough just as we are. Jesus sees us and he tells us that in these words when he says, "I am the light, you don't have to be in darkness. You can have that light too." So we're going to pause for a minute and say, "What what makes light even so important?" And I think just in the simplest sense in our ordinary lives, we need light to see. It's pretty simple. I don't need to have a degree to know that one. Um, but we're awake mostly as humans during the like, sunlight hours. And although in Seattle, that's not like, it's kind of the shadow side of Seattle is that it's like dark <laughs> for seven months. And we don't see much of the sun, but theoretically we are up when the sun is up and we go to bed when the sun is down. And if you, like after this, go to your room or your apartment, you're likely gonna turn on the light. Or like right now, if you got up, and left and went to the bathroom and the light was off he would probably turn on the light or else that would be kind of weird (laughs) but we need light to be able to see it's just how we were created as humans and so in that very simple sense that's why light is important is that we are created to need it we physically need it but then when Jesus says I am the light of the world like what does that mean what does that mean for us I want to take this a step back um, from the text we just read. Because when we read it, the first line of it said, Jesus said to the people. Well, who who are the people? Who's he talking to? If you were to open up your Bible and look at the story that was right in front of where we read tonight, you'd read about an interaction Jesus having, caring for and seeing a woman who wasn't being given much worth. It's a story about a woman who was caught in the act of adultery, who was caught sleeping with a man who wasn't her husband. And she was caught in that act and then brought by people in front of a crowd to be humiliated and to be publicly shamed for her actions. And then these people that brought this woman in front of everyone, they brought her there to then see what is Jesus going to do? what is this man going to say about this? And Jesus, instead of casting judgment on her, Jesus gets down to her level and he protects her and he honors her and he sees her for how she was created to be. And the story goes on to tell how Jesus looks at those who were accusing her, the people that brought her in, and he's like, all right, those of you those of you who have never messed up, those of you who have never done anything wrong, you've never sinned, go ahead and be the first to attack. And they, one by one, just slipped away. And so Jesus, still with this woman, looks at her and says, they are not here to kill you, neither am I. Go and sin no more. He doesn't look at her and say, okay, do better. Or like... (laughs) Okay, this is your one shot. Like, you clean it up and figure it out and get better next time. That's not what he says. He looks there and he meets her with grace in that moment and says, I do not judge you. I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. And it's from that moment, that moment that Jesus stands up, and that's where we pick up in our text. He looks in front of her and in front of the crowd and says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you do not have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. That's the moment that he makes this promise to us. And so I want us right now as a room to think about, just for a moment, what it would be like to be that woman, to go through that emotional roller coaster, and the fact that she was in the darkness. Like, we're talking about the crappy things of the world. She was in the darkness. But Jesus pauses that story and says, no, that's not how this is going to go this kind of condemnation, this kind of judgment, this kind of shame, that is actually not what my kingdom is about at all. We've said a full life in Jesus Christ is experienced through being known. It's unhindered by what we've done, by what we've experienced or by what's been done to us. When we walk in step with Jesus, we get to become unmasked. We are seen and we are seen just as we are. Jesus wants to be in the mess of all of it with us. But why is it, why is it for us as humans that being seen is such a vulnerable thing? Like, if we're honest, we really avoid it, Am I right? If, like, if you think about, or I think about, like social media, I think about Instagram, Snapchat, blah, 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 and we just try and put like the best image forward. I mean, at least I do, of a lot of us went to the getaway this weekend. And that was great. And we all, like, a lot of us posted fun photos. No one really posted a photo of it raining. Because <laughs> why, like, why would you? You're trying to put the best image forward of, like, this was awesome. And it was. But, I mean, we all do that and post something because we want to kind of control the way that we're being seen. I want you to see me and I want you to know me, but I want you to see me in this way, through this little square. And that's going to be how you... See me. Many of you who have met me before know that I grew up figure skating. I did it for 13 years competitively. And uh, it was a lot of my life growing up. So I did it from like elementary school up through high school and a little bit into college. And I've shared different stories about figure skating. um, But tonight I'm going to talk about one aspect of it. And it's that vulnerability piece. Um, When it was competition, I as you guys can imagine, you just have to put the best image forward. A lot of you are involved in sports and get this, so just like having to put that best image forward. And so when I would stand on the ice, it was really vulnerable of like, okay, the judges are gonna judge me off of what my body type looks like. They're gonna judge me off what my hair looks like, if it's done right, if my makeup's done right, if my dress matches my music, if I'm graceful enough, if I look pleasant enough, if I look happy <laughs> while I'm like trying to do all these things. And so all of it was just trying to be the complete package and getting out on the ice and being so vulnerable vulnerable, to be like, here I am. This is me. Judge me. <laughs> like, either rate me good or rate me bad. It's like that element of it is really hard. And that's a lot of weight. And we all carry that weight in different ways of putting ourselves out there and say, this is me, hopefully it's okay. And being that vulnerable is scary. It's scary to be known and to be seen. Um, Many of us were at the Young Life College getaway this past weekend. Quinn and Jamil were up here talking about it. Woo there's a photo of all of us together in the club room, yay! Um, For those of you who weren't or have zero idea what I'm talking about, A group of us went down to a Young Life camp in Oregon called Washington Family Ranch. We got to get away for a weekend. We had a ton of fun, played a bunch of Frisbee golf, uh, had a bunch of like laughter and songs and games. Um, We got to talk about Jesus and be in cabin times together as Quinn talked about having like more authentic time together. Um, But one aspect of it, we got to hear from a speaker. Her name was Leanne Allman and she talked to us, one of the things she talked to us was this idea of shame. And how, especially in college, shame can be such a shadow or a hindrance on how we experience real and full life. And so, we're not just going to like, cool, we talked about that at the getaway. We don't need to talk about it anymore. <laughs> we're going to keep talking about it. So, we're going to talk about shame some more. Um, in an attempt to summarize what our speaker said, um, a piece of it was she talked about this idea or concept of a shame drawer. Where it's like you take the experiences or the memories or the things that have happened to you or the things you don't really like and just kind of shove it in a drawer. A similar analogy is like a drunk drawer at your home. But you like shove it in the drawer and then just try and like push it down. (laughs) Say like, this doesn't exist. No one needs to know about it. And I can just hide. And everything's okay. (laughs) Nobody needs to know. And we, t- we try and tell ourselves that, that we can just push these things down and push them away. Uh, when I was four years old, I stole something for the first time. I stole from a UPS store. <laughs> <And> <laughs> it sounds really weird, but I, okay, I would go with my parents and they had like a toy section in the back. And so I would always go and play with the toys and... Um, I love dogs, and so there was a little 101 Dalmatian toy that I really wanted, and I'll go, and I'll play with it, and so one time when we left, I just took it, and I got in the car with my dad, and I just like had it in my little pocket, and I was holding it, and I didn't say anything, <laughs> and I went home, and I put it on my shelf with my other like dog toys, and I, but I just knew it was there, but I kind of tried to keep it hidden, and for some reason, there was this fear in me like, I knew right away that it was wrong. I, knew, I had this guilt of like, ah, I shouldn't have done that. And I had this fear that my parents were going to know. That somehow out of all my toys, they'd be like, that's one. <laughs> that one is not yours. <laughs> and which is silly. Like, there's no way. But I didn't want anyone to know. And I wanted to hide it. And I tried to hide it quick. And it's amazing how at four years old, how instantaneous that was for me. of like like, gosh, this is wrong. I need to hide it. And I, like, my four-year-old self, I could not handle that guilt. It, like, weighed on me so much. And it was, like, less than a week later, I went into my mom's room, and I had the little toy, and I was crying. And I was like, Mom, I stole the toy. But it's okay, because I've been playing with it a lot, so it's getting a lot of good use. (laughs) And she, I remember she sat down next to me and put her arm around me and was like, thank you for being honest. This still isn't okay. (laughs) So we're going to make it right. And I was like, okay. So she drove me to the UPS store, and I had to go up to whatever person was working that day. For them, it was just a random shift. (laughs) But to me, it was like the owner of UPS. (laughs) And I had to go up to him with the toy and be like, I stole the toy. (laughs) And now I'm here to give it back, and I'm sorry. And this is just like, I remember him coming around from the other side of the table and like getting down to my little four-year-old level and saying like, hey, Thank you for telling the truth. That's a good thing to do. You shouldn't steal. (laughs) But because you told the truth, I'm going to let you keep the toy. (laughs) That's not the moral of the story. That if you steal something and apologize, you get to keep it. But (laughs) it worked out well for me in that moment as a four-year-old. But the point that I want you guys to see in that is that... um, the guilt I immediately felt, and the fact that I immediately wanted to hide it, and that I felt shame about what I had done, and I just wanted to, like, I didn't want my parents to ask me, I didn't really want them to see, I didn't really want them to know, I would like play with the toy in secret, and then if anyone came in, I would be like, oh. <laughs> I was just playing with these toys. And, but that fear and that feeling that I was going to get caught, that someone was going to find me out, hit me as a four-year-old. But when I told my mom, I was met with grace. When I told the UPS man, I was met with grace. <laughs> and I'm so thankful for that because I believe it's true about Jesus as well. I mean, we see it in the story of the woman caught in adultery. He gets down to her level and he meets her with grace. He bends down to our level and he meets us with grace, with the mess that we're in. And what I'm not trying to say with that story is like, oh, be a good Christian, don't steal. Blah, blah, blah. Like, I could care less about behavior modification and, like, doing all the right things. That's not what I believe faith is about. But what I'm talking about is setting us free from living under the weight that we feel when we do something wrong or when something happens to us. To live life full and free and unhindered and not weighed down by the stuff in the darkness. Does that make sense? Anybody? Woohoo! Okay. Yeah! Great. Okay, and the thing about Jesus... As when we talk about that shame drawer, is that Jesus knows that drawer exists. Like, let's not be fools to think that he doesn't know that that stuff is in our lives, that when we try and hide it and keep it in the darkness, that somehow Jesus doesn't know about it. He knows. Shame wants to keep us quiet, and shame wants us to stay in the darkness and believe that our life is content within that. We wanna cover up the lies and put a pretty picture on the outside that says, I'm okay. All this stuff, no, it doesn't matter, I'm okay. Um, One of my favorite shows right now is the show, This Is Us. Anybody, (laughs) woohoo! The only bummer is that it's on Tuesday nights, (laughs) So unless you have Hulu, you're maybe not into it because it's only on Hulu. But for those of you that have been watching it, I'm watching it. I love it. We can talk about it later. But I want to show you guys a clip from two weeks ago. And for those of you who don't watch it, um, we're going to see Becca and Jack. They're married, and they're going through a bit of a rough patch. Um, And so we're going to get a snapshot of them in the middle of kind of conflict and argument. Um, And so that's where we're going to... You know what, I'm married to a man that's better than that. you don't know everything about me. Yes, I do. No, Rebecca, you don't. I'm drunk right now. I have been drunk all day. I have been drunk for weeks. And I thought I had it under control like the first time, but... I have a problem. Rebecca. But I've hidden it from you. For a very long time. And I've. I've hidden it from my kids. And I need to get a handle on it before I can walk back into that house. I'm sorry baby I I'm very embarrassed, and I am very sorry. I need to fix this on my own. Get in the car. Get in the car, Jack. You are my husband, and I am your wife, and if you have a problem, we will fix it together. I just need you to get in the car so we can go home. Share the moment anyone else crying? Because I am. Okay. (laughs) It's so emotional. Um, But you guys, the reason, okay, we see that, I think, okay, what I want to point out is that when we experience shame, our temptation is to shove it down and to try and deal with it on our own. Like, that's what we see him doing. He's like, I have this problem. And even, like, if we do open the door to someone, there's still that temptation to say, like, this is my problem, but I will do it on my own. I will handle this, and I'll shove it back in the drawer, and I will figure it out. What I love about this is when Becca knocks again and says, get in the car, we'll fix it together. We're going to, like, fix this together. And so I want to make this more practical for you guys. Is there someone who really knows you? Is there someone who knows you? Do you have someone who knows when you're faking it? When you're putting out the picture of I'm okay. If you're here tonight and there isn't and you don't have that person, then gosh, I just really hope and encourage you to reach out to someone, to reach out to me reach out to someone on our staff, one of the interns, because that's like we are here because that's what we love to do. We love to process life. We love our jobs. We love that we get to walk through the ups and the downs with you guys. Maybe you're here thinking there's no way. I've been faking it for so long. There's no way someone would be okay with me. I've been faking it. There's no way that someone could handle this. You guys, the longer we keep things in the darkness, the more it's just unknown and the the twisted cycle it becomes. And the lies that start to creep in of I need to keep this to myself, I need to handle it on my own. And that is not what Jesus says. He says, bring this into the light and you will not walk in darkness and you will have the light that leads to life. And as we talk about bringing our lives in this light, this also means in the community. Last week, Mike talked about grace and how one way we experience grace is through community. I hope that our community is like the one we just saw in that clip. I hope that our community is one that when we hear about the hurts and the pains and the brokenness that's going on in each other's lives, that we would lean in and knock on the door and say, come home. Come with me. And if our community is not there yet, I hope That's where we're going. That we wouldn't just be trying to pick up the pieces on our own and trying to present it in the best way. It's about embracing all of the mess, all of it. Being known and accepted by Jesus and each other. Jesus says, if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. When we allow ourselves to be seen, that darkness and shame has no power over us. (laughs) Absolutely none, because we can come as we are. And Jesus says that you are enough. It doesn't mean that the pain goes away. It doesn't mean it's like, poof, gone. But the weight that that has on our shoulders is lifted. I mean, I think it gets as pretty simple as this, that when we say, I want to follow Jesus, we no longer have to live with the darkness and shame. He takes it and he walks with us. If you're here tonight and you think this is a bunch of crap, that's okay. (laughs) I'm not up here to try and convince anyone of anything. Um, The hope is that you might understand Jesus a little bit more and the promises that he makes. And the fact that he doesn't want any of us in this room, believers or not, to live in shame and darkness, but he wants us to live in light and truth. With him and with each other. You are seen and you are enough And it might be scary to feel that known. It's vulnerable and we don't like it. But it's so worth the experience of life and life to the full. To experience freedom. Shame wants you to stay quiet. Shame wants to keep you from that freedom and to stay in the dark. But Jesus invites us to let the light in and for all of us, the complete us, the good and the bad, to step into that freedom. The things in the dark are unknown, but the things in the light are known. And so my hope for each of us is that we would think through how am I stepping into light? How am I being known by Jesus and by others? So with that, I'm going to pray for a night, and then we'll continue on. So please pray with me. Jesus, I thank you for tonight, and I pray that we as a community would accept the grace that you offer us. Jesus, I pray right now that we could hear you say to us, you are enough that we'd hear your voice say, I see you, and I love you. Jesus, I ask that we would learn to accept that truth, that we'd embrace the freedom that you offer and extend grace to one another. God, I pray that we could be a community that invites others into our homes and into our lives and into the mess. God, thank you for being the light that overcomes the darkness. God, thank you for the ways that you seek after us and for your love and for being real to us. Jesus, we love you, um, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.